<laughs> Podcast. <laughs>Welcome back. Uh, this is the third installment of what now is going to be its official own separate entity uh, known as the Untitled Philosophy Podcast. We are your hosts, for better or for worse, Antonio, David. And always for worse. David. Always for worse. It's going to get worse now that we've decided to do this more often. See how far this divulges. Well, <laughs> proximity breeds contempt. <laughs> we we are hundred. How many kilometers away we are? We're like almost two hundred kilometers from each other. Yeah, hundred something. Yeah, oh, wow. But it's over the lake. Like it's just sh- it's shorter if you go over the lake. I can't swim, so. On principle, or <laughs> is it a physical disability? <laughs> it's a little bit of a a coordination issue. Okay. I also think, like, really fast. The old thrash I don't know sink. why. I should be, like, buoyant. But no, I just like a rock. <laughs> so much like this podcast, going down quickly. Yeah, it's going to go downhill fast. Um, it already has. We're there. Speaking of downhill, today we are going to start tackling this issue of, very broadly, I did a video before this on uh, my top five philosophy reads that I mentioned to you in our conversation yesterday. Um, What are your top five? And that's asking a lot to put you on the spot, right? It's even the top two or three. Things that you think anyone getting into philosophy, either formally as a student or just casually would would like to read or should read. And if if you like while you think about it, I can give you my five. Sure, let's do that recap. So, uh, spoiler warning for any of those who haven't seen that video, and at this point, if you haven't, shame on you, nay nay. Um, In no particular order, I won't ruin the order for you, you have to watch the video to find out. Uh, David Hume, um, on natural religion, Dialogues on Natural Religion, I thought was a super important read. Um, Fundamentally just trying to destroy a whole dogmatic system right using the dogmatic system of religion to show how skepticism can break away from dogmatism i I clearly think he was an atheist and that was his goal but also the idea that skepticism can be a good healthy thing for people to break away from held beliefs that have no rationality attached to them or it's wrong frankfurt on bullshit i think everyone should read that it's just it's an amazing little book and the longer I live, the more that book is true. Um, I don't think I've read that yet. It's such a good read. I, I have it. I can't give it to you because because of COVID. We can get it online for free, so that's fine. Uh, I think I might have a PDF version floating around somewhere. But I mean, the idea that truth somehow doesn't matter anymore in these bullshit sections of like what bullshit is, and then you look at who the president was for the last four years. Uh, where he became the arbiter of truth. So I think reading that is so important, Uh, not just because of what Trump did, but because of just the way society is moving. Plato Symposium. If you want a, for me, that is one of the most beautifully written works. It is hilarious. It's funny. There's weird Greek man-on-man romance going on in the background constantly. 
there's an amazing story about how we used to be connected with another human being that could be another man or a woman, right? It was like two women or two men or a man and a woman, what have you. And the gods split us down the middle because we became too strong together. And now we mm. search for the other half. Like, how is that not some just beautiful ass story that Plato just pulls out of nowhere? <laughs> that was like the TV Guide review of that book, by the way. There's, there's so much else going on. I mean, it talks about love, friendship, right? The, the platonic versions of these things. But just... As a read, if you're going to read, if you're getting into velocity and you have to read, I think you have to read something with Plato. Don't read The Republic. Everyone reads The Republic. Read the symposium. It's funny. It's beautifully written. You get this interesting concept on love and what does it mean to have love and friendship. And you have this like camaraderie that's, that's in the, the writing. And it's written in such a good way. Such a good writer. It's probably um, one of the I, most approachable platonic writers. Yeah. Love it. Um, Descartes' first meditation. Again, I love my early moderns. He is a you know, staunch skeptic. Goes down, fundamentally breaks down beliefs in all of these different ways, like questions your senses, questions God, reality. Always brings it back. But one of the reasons why I like him so much, and not even to mention dualism and stuff. But one of the reasons I like him so much is that you can, as I'm reading it, I can live what he experienced. I, I can. I can see the isolation and the realization when he gets to things and I get excited when I read that too because they're, they're realizations that you can have just sitting down and thinking about yourself and your own beliefs too. It's nothing crazy, right? Well, wax melts, but I still know it's a candle. I change. I was a toddler who couldn't speak. Now I'm a 55-year-old man. I'm still the same. My body's changed. What's there still? Something else. It's just these things that are important. Uh, and then the last one is Peter Benatar on why it's better to never have existed. Okay. Um, <laughs> not because I think that I should never have existed. Better never to have been, right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, it's, I think it's a, a playful account of talking about non-existence and how if you can ascribe properties to beings that don't exist. So there's a philosophical puzzle at play that I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then there's the obvious ecological footprint that humans have on the planet that we are just seemingly inherently destructive as a species because of what we do and the suffering that we're going to cause and that suffering in life in general, right? We're the only species that knows it's going to die at a certain age. You realize, Oh shit, I only got X amount of years left. And that's, that causes, I mean, we've seen other philosophers who have deep existential dread for that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to talk about how that kind of bit of suffering and the, the pain and suffering you go out in through life is going to necessarily be worse than all the positives. You can disagree with them. That's fine. But I think it's an important, I think it's an important book to read. It's not super inaccessible, except for that philosophical puzzle about non-existent entities. But that's for the mm-hmm. philosopher students versus the how bad are humans? How bad is life? How shitty is it? And for him, I mean, Benatar is just, it's shitty, right? It, he gets worse and worse into it. He gets real deep into it. Um, and I was introduced to him through Elizabeth, my PhD supervisor. Yeah. When her, as her father was dying, she started reading Benatar more and more, I think as a coping mechanism about kind of accepting death and it might be, okay, it's probably better. So I think that's interesting too. So that's my top five in a very long, long spiel. Okay. I... Uh... Honorable mention to better never to have been. I, I think mm. there's a lot of value in the idea of unpacking 
whether or not bringing a person into existence is a harm, I think it's a really interesting philosophical question. Uh, you have to read Plato. Uh, you just have to. Uh, yeah. If I'm going, if I'm going to defend the Republic for a second, and I will, uh, there's some value in reading the Republic as a satire. Right? There's there's an interesting argument that I am fairly fond of, and that's that when first asked what um, the ideal form of society is, you get Plato's original answer. And then as they start asking him more questions, as they start investigating more and more and creating a more complex society, he tells you what, he leads you to what the ideal society would be like after you've added in all of these things. But I think the original, the original answer is interesting. And then you can read the whole thing as satire. It's like, well, if you have to do this, then this is the kind of society that it will create. And there's some value in reading the the last, you know, 70% of it is a little bit of a tongue in cheek, like, well, if you have to make society so complex, this is what we're going to have to do with it, question. And isn't that reflective of what we're going to do in this video? So if I'm doing my top five, and I'm not retreading a lot of that stuff, uh, while there would be value in reading The Republic, if you're going to read Plato, I'm going to say read the Mino. Okay. Because I think that it's a really interesting exercise in reasoning through problem solving and mm -hmm. it both communicates the philosophical method really well though the platonic interrogatory method very well and it also represents a lot of what you're going to find in the rest of his works with the concept of the forms the concept of all ideas referencing some sort of bigger idea yeah right you get so there's there's value in reading that it's a little bit more accessible than going into some of the longer stuff longer stuff and it's a little bit more of a, a nice intro because otherwise i'm going to say symposium but you already said symposium not for the weird tangent that you ran into <laughs> there but there's some just the just the writing style is beautiful the the argumentation that goes on and the little bit of history that he packs into it it's just yeah. a nice really short beautiful little read if you ignore yeah. some of the the weird stuff that happens in the middle don't ignore it Live it. Just it. It's lean just, in. It's just interesting. That's it is. This guy is just a weirdo. It's fun to read. So I'm going Plato. I'm going the Mino. Um, if I'm going to do another ancient Aristotle, the Nicomachean Ethics, I think that that's a really good primer for ethical theory. At the end of the day, it's also a very accessible version of an ethical theory when we're talking about um, virtue being the mean between two extremes. Mm. It's that beautiful balancing act that makes us rational. It's not like excessive passion is bad. No passion at all is also bad. The perfect kind of passion has to sit somewhere in the middle. I think if you don't find some, some beauty in that version of morality, that there's, there's something maybe broken in you and you need to talk to your parents or your <laughs> caregivers or whoever raised you. Is that perfect moderation of just just enough and and you're good? It's just so Greek. It um, is. I didn't I, I didn't put Aristotle on my list because I can't stand reading him. He's you need a glass of water. He's so dry. <laughs> uh, he's, he's incredibly insightful, brilliant man, but he, he's a, I, he's he's too difficult of a read. I think uh, even for me, a more seasoned philosopher, I I have a hard time getting insights from any of his work. That's fair. I think that that's why I like the Nicomachean ethics. 
And there are just a couple of chapters. You can skip a lot of it and just hit a couple of, of chapters, and I couldn't tell you what they are off the top of my head. But mm. when he's talking about friendship, in the chapter on friendship specifically, I think it's, it's a good really job. accessible yeah, a good and a really nice little little summary of what we're talking about. Yeah. So if you're if you're just getting into philosophy, the for chapter on friendship and the Nicomachean Ethics, if that doesn't interest you in ancient philosophy, probably not for you. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in every first year course. It's in every ethics course. But it's also just a nice, nicely written chapter where you don't get into the rest of his metaphysics. Yeah, it's pretty self-contained. Um, let's see. What else that's, do I have here? Three. You got Plato, Aristotle. I think I've only got two right now. Yeah, that's right. Just two. You're still heavy in the ancients. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? I would put, I would put Benatar as better never to have been on there. Mm -hmm. I really would. Um, Good book. Yeah. There's just some value in the, the philosophical puzzles that he's talking about. Um, let's see here. You know what? I'm going to go French for a second. I'm going to suggest that somebody read uh, the, the Myth of Sisyphus by Camus. It's a good one. That's a good one. I it's teach also that short. In my, I teach that in my Meaning of Life class. Yeah. Yeah. It's short. It's accessible. He packs a lot of philosophical history into something that's basically a ch would have been the chapter length of anyone else's book. Mm. So there's, I think there's value there. And it's, again, it's, it's well written. And if I want anyone to do more philosophy, you definitely want to introduce them to the, the better writers in the group. Yeah, you got to try and catch them early on. Because if you give them something dry, like you're not going to, you know, Plato's laws are really good if you're a seasoned philosopher who wants that detail. But if you're a newbie coming into this, it's mind-blowingly boring. Yeah. But Camus is a good writer. I mean, just the, the idea of just, you know, rebelling against the shit state that the world put you in, in the sense of this isn't what I wanted, and you rebel against it has, there's a good quality to that. So what, am I at four or five? Have I hit five you're at, yet? You're at four. You got, you got Benatar, Camus, Plato, Aristotle. This oh, and tough. I had another one, and I lost it. This is the worst part. Let's see if I'm trying to narrow it down here. You know what? Uh, well, I didn't love it when I read it the first time. I'm going to go ahead and say Rawls. Uh, the, the piece where he talks about the veil of ignorance, and I can't remember what it's called, On Liberty? I think it might be. I think it's On Liberty. That's I what usually I'm read it in his collection, so I think it's On Liberty. Yeah. I should I know there's... it. I just taught it like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> if if I'm wrong, you can throw something in the comments or throw something in the, the info feed. Anyway, keep going. Talk about the talk. Why do you like that one? It's not something that I, I absolutely disliked it when I first read it. And mm. I don't think I disliked it for the, for the right reasons. I think I disliked it because it's really fun and easy to poke holes in the the veil of ignorance, right? If to to even imagine ourselves separated from some sort of vested interest seems impossible. Yeah. But I don't know if that's necessarily important for the rest of what he's saying. I don't know if it's important for the takeaway because the takeaway yeah. for me is always that is that there's always probably a step back that you can take to pull apart the problem that you're engaged in in especially when they're moral or legal problems and if you can do that 
you can probably start picking apart the elements that are leading you astray and what you're actually wanting to talk about. And I think that also runs true with what I, what I read in Plato in the Socratic method. You're not talking about necessarily everything, but if you investigate it long enough, you get to what you're actually talking about. And mm. that's where philosophy starts taking place. So I can connect those two in my head now, having done it, done this for what is now been 14 years ish. And I can really appreciate the value in unpacking the, the veil of ignorance and what Rawls is trying, what I feel like he's trying to say. Yeah. That was a good read too. I like Rawls. I'm not a huge fan, but I like him. Um, what's your, what's the worst, worst thing you've read in philosophy? Like something you wouldn't wish it upon someone else. I can't. I have that. mine. I have a whole, I have Dickenstein. <laughs> just a file folder if, full of Wittgenstein. If I hate you and you were just stranded somewhere and you said, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be stranded on this island with two books. What books do I take to keep myself enjoyed? And I hate you. I'm saying Wittgenstein. Take the investigations and to take whatever the hell other book that that guy wrote. The Tractatus. That. Yeah, go ahead. Read that. He is, he's probably brilliant. I'm sure he is. He has a colorful life. I think he was a, just a garbage writer who had no skill in getting across his point. And I feel like when I have to read his stuff, I am trying to get into some kind of a private club that has its own language. And <laughs> those people think of themselves as being very bright and smart. And if you don't understand the language, you are missing out on something that's so so important and groundbreaking in philosophy yet no one gives a shit there's no one cares <laughs> i've heard he, enough he people summarizes. say all right go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. I, I heard enough people say that he is like so fundamental important and has these big big things in philosophy that he's done and talked about yet no one freaking talks about him no one references him other than like kripke yeah, it's it. It's just like no, you're not that important. You came up, you you said some interesting things, I'm sure, but you're so opaque. It's hard to to read your stuff. I'm sorry. Like, you can have genius and brilliance, but if it's not legible, <laughs> can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, he gets he gets summarized in our tradition as just language games. Yeah. And the takeaway there, the, and a lot of the takeaway is if he's, if he's right, all of philosophy is kind of just, a, you know, a game that we're playing that means nothing, but so is everything else. And I'm sure that there's some Wittgensteinians out there that are like, you don't get Wittgenstein. Yeah, the four of them that exist aren't on YouTube still. They're, and, and they're not following they're your, your channel for no, sure. They're discussing the difference between chess and checkers and beetles and boxes. That's all I remember from the damn investigation. <laughs> <laughs> A waste of money. Oh, so I, I could do that, but it would be... Uh, if I had my answer, it's an answer that I'd like to take back as soon as I put it out there. And it's honestly <laughs> anything written by John Locke. <laughs> He's a horrible writer. The man didn't know what a period was. No. No, you <laughs> will read pages. Pages of one sentence. So, again, you appreciate him as you get older and into the discipline and realize what he's doing and how much value there is to him in history. But to read it is just an exercise in the worst I, meaning of the word. 
I'm making my introductory class read um, essays on human understanding from him, like part of him on external world causation and identity. But yeah. I specifically gave them early modern text because there's audio versions instead of having to read that bullshit. Like, yeah. This guy's really smart. He says some really important things. We still deal with his level of like consciousness and like privacy issues and you know, property. Probably he's a better legal philosopher, I think, than he was an ethicist or empiricist or other, other things. Personally. Fair. Um, but you can't read him. He's, he's freaking awful. Well, you weren't kidding with a page of text without a period. I still remember, I still remember my empiricist course, second year university, reading that essay on human understanding and literally going a page and a half without hitting a period. And I just tossed the book. I had to walk away. <laughs> I, I couldn't. It's, it's impossible. And he's grammatically correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? It's just unpacking those sentences because it's already dense. And then to unpack yeah. the sentence, and you got basically have to diagram the sentence to try and figure yeah. out where it's going. Well, that, that's how that's how I studied him in undergrad too. Is I literally had his book, and I would I would um, put brackets around you know propositions that were in the sentences. And be like, okay, this is this is one thing, and then this is another, and then this one leads to this third one down here. Is the only way I, you had to diagram it. Is the only way to make sense of some of his work, unless someone taught you the holistic account, um, which is probably more beneficial to be honest. Unless yeah. you're doing deep scholarly work on Locke, having someone just teach you a general account is much better than I think reading him. So I, I do agree with you that he's, I, I wouldn't say take it back. That's a rough read. He's a hard read. He's a <laughs> and hard I'm, read. I'm glad that you agreed with me. I'm going to go one honorable mention for people that might not like traditional philosophy. Uh, mm. Marcus Aurelius's meditations, as far as Stoicism are concerned. Wonderful book, short. It's very, it's a very approachable book mm. if you want to get into Stoicism. I have never read his stuff. I think I, I'm more familiar with like Epictetus. Um, oh, who's the Roman? I forgot his name. Mm. I want to say Cicero, but I think I'm wrong. Could be Cicero. I think it's Cicero, but I don't think I've read any of Aurelius. Yeah, Roman Emperor. He's a, he's he's a character in Gladiator. I mean, how can you go go wrong? But no, the, it's, a, it's really interesting because it's his journal. He was a Roman mm. emperor. It's his journal. And he's wrestling with, he's wrestling with the ideas of leading, a, leading the Republic when it doesn't matter what he does, there's outside forces that, are, that, are, that he's confronting with, right? It's outside forces that might destroy the Republic. He's got to try and hold his home life together, his mental life together, the Republic together, and all of these pressures. And it's just him repeatedly reminding himself of the stoic propositions, right? Like the storm can surge around you and that's not within your power. Be the rock against which the, the wind and the rain crash. Just, just nice little aphorisms. It's very beautifully written. It's, it's philosophy and it's stoicism mm -hmm. without all of the trappings of rigorous scholastic approaches to those things. Yeah. Yeah, look that up. But it sounds like a good read. It is. Sounds like a calming read, especially now. Yeah. No. Okay, good. That was fun. I'm glad you had some answers for that. I had more fun talking about the shit work than the good work. But... <laughs> it happens. Yeah. We bond. In philosophy, we bond over the things that we hate. 
I think in life you bond over the things you hate. I, I've told my wife this a thousand times. I love when you hate the same thing that I do. I've never felt so close to you. When you, when, when, I, when you find someone who hates the same thing that you hate, it's a bond that can't be broken. Well, on that, I think we're going to end it. This is good. Good place. Good, yeah. So, in case you didn't hear or you skipped it earlier, this is now an official thing. David here is the co-host, the rational side, where I'm slowly going to divulge into just screaming. Anyway, you're listening to the uh, newly titled Untitled Philosophy Podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night. All right.